Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 101 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And don't worry, we're back. I know we had kind of like a two-week hiatus there after Episode 100, oddly enough. We didn't stop the show after Episode 100. We just had a couple things that came up. Um, For me personally, after that episode work and everything. I was just, uh, I think I overworked myself, got a little burnt out. So I needed a little bit of a refresher um, to kind of get things back going. And then the ne- the next week after that, unfortunately, it was New Year's. It was that New Year's uh, break. And obviously, everyone is kind of doing their own thing. And it's hard to kind of plan an episode during that period. But no worries, we are back for the new year. Uh, an exciting Premier League title race is upon us. Um, everything soccer related is upon us, but we are excited to kind of get back in the swing of things. Um, for me, I'm just rocking a normal Manchester United kit. I don't have a ton of kits. You know, odd enough, oddly enough, I'm a soccer podcast. We're a soccer podcast. I don't have a ton of kits, but this is one of my favorites, the Manchester United 2016-17 jersey. And then Tyler is the, rocking the Liverpool uh, training kit, right? Mm-hmm. Training kit yeah. from this season, yeah. The it's either pre-match, no, no, it's just straight up just training. Like in the at at this point, it's like in Kirby, so not at the uh, or the AXA training facility, not Melwood anymore. I almost said Melwood. I was like, <laughs> man, I had we had a whole discussion on the, one of the previous podcasts about how they moved, but yeah, this is the new gray one, and I was like, oh, this looks pretty clean. It's one where I can just kind of wear around. It's not too flashy, you know. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a nice casual one. You could wear it to the gym, and no one will like kind of bat an eye to it. You know, exactly. It's not so, going to be a a neon green kind of shirt Dortmund, lying around. The yellow <laughs> Dortmund kit, you know, one of those bright yellow ones. But no, it's a good kit. And you. one thing you'll notice if you look in the background of Tyler's video, what unfortunately, I guess for the audio audio people, don't worry. You can watch the YouTube video. But as you see, he's got. And exclusive, when I mean exclusive, I mean literally exclusive. There's only one of those that have been made, and he has it in his uh, bedroom right now. It is the Premier Pod sweater. You know, looks really, really awesome with a TPP. And then if you in the if you got the back over there, Tyler Chan, just Chan on the background, and it's got the podcast logo on there. One of a kind. I'm assuming that's going for about like a hundred k right now. Priceless. Yeah, priceless. <laughs> <laughs> one of a kind. You couldn't find it anywhere else if you tried, but it's a really cool uh, uh, piece of memorabilia that uh, it's really cool to have. So mm-hmm. that's a that's one thing that came yeah. out during this whole break. <laughs> Shout out to uh, my close friend Ani for making that because right before our hundredth episode, I was kind of mentioning I was like, "What should we do for the hundredth episode?" It's like we should make like a piece of merch or something. And then in the back of her head, she she actually already made this ahead of time. She's like. I hope you don't because <laughs> you already had it in hand, but it worked. It came out really nice. This is not for sale or anything. Like, this is just something that I'll keep forever. Like, this is the coolest thing I've ever gotten. And literally, it's a Premier Pod custom sweatshirt that I got for Christmas. So, that is something really cool that we should definitely have. Just definitely want to show on the next episode I could because I was like, dang, it actually happened. Like, something that we mentioned on the podcast just like popped into my life basically i was like there we go <laughs> yeah so we, we need that uh that that is uh that's really cool we need that um we need uh, like a poof that sponsorship into uh into existence <laughs> yes and she made like a logo on the front yeah using like, like a template but still i was like oh okay we can just yeah. use this now 
unless it's more general, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice at the end of the day. It's good, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of what's going on with us for the past uh, past two weeks with everything that's been going on. But obviously, while we've been gone, the festive fixtures have been going on in the Premier League, which meant that there was a ton of soccer that went on during this break. And unfortunately, we weren't there to cover it while it was going on. But we kind of picked out some of the bigger, I guess, storylines that came out of that whole entire festive fixture. And one of them, um, one of the bigger games that came on during that period was the Chelsea-Manchester City match where City dominated Chelsea 3-1. Should have won 3-0, but Hudson-Odoi got some almost garbage time goal out of that. But, you know, I wanted to quickly mention City here. They just beat Manchester United in the League Cup. They're back to the finals again. They beat uh, Manchester United 2-0 at Old Trafford. But one of the things that has fascinated me during this Manchester City, I guess, renaissance this year or this season is the play of John Stones. John Stones and, and Ruben Diaz in particular, they have formed a pretty formidable uh, center-back partnership that I think is probably could be good enough to win the league. John Stones especially has turned into the player that he... The player that we thought Manchester City were getting when they bought him from Everton, I guess, what has it been, five years now? It's crazy how much time has gone by since the since John Stones was an Everton player, but he's very comfortable on the ball. He's starting to develop that confidence of you know, being sure of where his passes are going. He's always been comfortable with the ball, but he's being, I guess, more confident, and he's starting to make the defensive plays you need to make, you, you need to make as a defensive player, such as stepping in, um, you know, blocking, you know, putting in the tackles here and there. He's looked like a totally brand new player. And for Manchester City, he's kind of almost turning into that leader they need. And I think it's been very interesting how Ruben Diaz and John Stones has basically taken over the spot of Imeric Laporte, who we all thought was City's best center back um, for this whole time. And Laporte, I mean, through injury and such, has kind of not been there and Granted, you know, you got to give credit to John Stones has pretty much taken over the mantle of being almost a star center back at uh, at City's back line. Mm -hmm. It's really peculiar to kind of think about when you see Man City, their defense just turning up. Usually when you think of Man City, it's like, what's the first thing you think of? It's just their ability to attack. Yes. Like usually they win games 7-0, 6-1, But these days they've been winning games, just kind of edging things out. Or maybe it'd be 2 0, 1 0, kind of those kind of more edgy games where it's more of just playing a defensive role. And they have the best defense in the league right now, actually, with just 13 goals conceded. And next best is Tottenham with 15. So it's, it's a little close, but still, with this whole defense that has been playing musical chairs this whole season so far, where they brought in Nathan Ake, Ruben Diaz, and then those center back pairings just constantly I felt like was changing at the beginning of the season now mm-hmm. it's a little bit more solidified with just John Stones and Ruben Diaz yeah. now with that we're starting to see some consistency we're starting to see some clean sheets we're starting to see Ederson get clean sheets Zach Steffen was playing yeah. in goal the American has actually the American. started the past two games because I think Ederson has been injured I believe so. so and he has made a few mistakes, but I mean, it's it's okay. <laughs> he yeah. hasn't played in a while, at least for Manchester City, and in a meaningful game, I would say. So this is a pretty cool, cool step. Once I saw, at least in this Chelsea Man City game, see Christian Pulisic on the other side, and then yeah, Zach Stefan in goal. I was like, yes, I Playing like that. For like two of the biggest clubs in England, which is kind of crazy to think mm-hmm. about. 
Um, and you know, Man City, I think they're this over-encompassing topic of the title race. Man City are definitely now in it after Liverpool failing to pick up points in the last three games over the Christmas period. Mm-hmm. We'll mention that a little later, but I would say even Chelsea at a certain point, because all the points are so close, like Arsenal are just 10 points away from the top. Yeah. Chelsea, I believe, let me see, are at the six. moment seven points. Yeah, so, so not even too far off. Yeah, they're not even too far off too. They're you know they're a bit of a slump, but I guess we can go into that that topic of you know Man yeah. City. They're starting to find their form in the defense and having this kind of defensive resume to try to get the title this season. While Chelsea, meanwhile, they look lost. They yeah. literally have a Timo Werner, Kai Havertz that are looking like the flops of the season right now. I know they're running for so much money, and I feel like this is something we mentioned at the very beginning of the season, where it will take a season to get that chemistry together. Because you know, when you bring in a whole new starting eleven, or at least half the team's a new starting eleven, they're not going to immediately click. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think it'd be this bad. I didn't know it'd be Timo Werner yeah. only scoring four goals in, like, say, fifteen games. Yeah, it's it's bad because I remember when we had an episode in the earlier part of the season, I believe in August, we actually mentioned Timo Werner could kind of be a flop. And in terms of, um, I guess the topic was, can he really create on his own? It's one of those things where he didn't look really confident in front of goal and all that. And it, it, he was one of those players that maybe required a lot of chances to kind of put them in. He's not the most clinical finisher, but... I mean, this season, I didn't really watch him too much when he was at Leipzig, when he was playing in the Bundesliga. So I can't really talk too much about how he performed there. But when he's been playing at Chelsea, every time I watch Chelsea, it always seems like Timo Werner is on the left wing for some reason. And then they have Olivier Giroud or Tammy Abraham playing up in the middle. And it just always confused me because Timo Werner, for me, I don't think he really has a skill set to play as a winger. I think he's just more of that, basically that pace he just he relies on his pace to get in behind and he is going to miss a lot of chances but he's also going to score them because he's going to get in behind so many times and i jokingly said to tyler that he's almost just theo walcott the german theo walcott right now um the way he's been playing and just his overall form that he just hasn't been performing well and i don't know i tyler did you expect timo werner to be looking this bad or were you expecting this at all I think when Klopp decided, no, I, I'm not sure if it was his decision ultimately, but when Liverpool couldn't secure Timo Werner, I was thinking at the time, I was like, Liverpool at this point should be able to get anyone they want. If Timo Werner ended up going to Chelsea, it's like maybe they saw something that was not worth going the extra mile, paying the extra wage for. And ultimately, that is what we're kind of seeing right now, where he is playing when he did play in the center you know, center attacking mid or or just center forward, he could score every once in a while, but I felt like he was very much a quantity over quality type of player. He'll yeah. get a lot of chances because of his pace, but then he'll miss a lot. It was kind of like Alvaro Morata kind of-esque when I yeah. saw him miss a few sitters here and there or like just a clear-cut chance and goal. It's like, oh, if he was a world-class player, he would have scored that, but mm-hmm. he would miss. I'm like, man, I don't know if, He's just being human, or this is a little too human. <laughs> like, yeah, he paid like more than fifty mil for him. It's like he's got to be, you know, putting in more of these chances. Yeah, it's it's funny because I think um, Cavani, who was signed for free, who's obviously much older, not the longevity player. I feel like he's 
come almost outperformed. I feel like he has outperformed Timo Werner, him being, you know, Cavani being as old as he is and Timo Werner being the young striker. But one thing that um, a lot of people were saying was that they said the in order for Lampard to kind of get the best out of Timo Werner was to maybe play him as a as a uh, in a almost like in a four four two where you have two strikers where one of them is probably like a Giroud or Abraham who can handle and hold up the ball. Then you just have Werner play off of him and just you know running behind, running behind, running behind. That could be what they what they could do. But I agree for forty five mil or fifty mil, whatever they paid for him, I can't remember the exact price. He has to keep, he has to score. And the thing is, he's just not scoring. And, you know, he's been such low confidence that he does not look like he's confident at all in terms of shooting or crossing. And Lampard is kind of, um, I wouldn't say been really harsh on him, but you can start to tell like Lampard's getting a little disappointed because he's kind of almost in certain times called him out. But one thing that has concerned a lot of people and has concerned me is the performance of Kai Havertz, the young German international supposed to be the next superstar um, center attacking mid for Chelsea. And he like Timo Werner, I feel like has been played out of position way too many times for Chelsea. He's either been playing on the right wing, left wing, um, not playing as a number 10, almost as like box to box midfielder, you could say. And for me, that's not how you can get the best out of Havertz. He's literally a number 10, play him as a number 10 and you can get the best out of him. And, you know, I don't know. When I when I watch Havertz, he just doesn't seem too confident as well. He's also low on confidence. I'm just not seeing the the player we saw in the Bundesliga that was scoring two goals per game almost for um, Leverkusen, where he was getting in the box, scoring headers, you know, that type of player. In a way, it's almost like he's a shell of himself at Chelsea. And, you know, you could say the same thing for the whole squad. But for me, it's just so interesting how these two German superstars have not gelled well coming into the Premier League and such. We've historically seen a lot of players who come in from the Bundesliga. They've been all right. You know, Hyungman, Hyungman's son, Kevin yeah. De Bruyne, like Obama those on. And like Obama Yang. So I was kind of joking with Yush. I was saying, you know, Kai Havertz, I could see him as a Kevin De Bruyne kind of situation where he was at Chelsea and he gets bought out from another <laughs> smaller team does really well for a season or two and then becomes the next best player in the world. Then, yeah, like the next Mo Salah, the next Kevin De Bruyne, the next Lukaku, and then ends up on some other big team. And then right now, Kai Havertz is just going through a little bit of a slump at Chelsea. But I mean, I can't really blame him. As you just mentioned, he's played, I believe, five or six positions now at yeah. Chelsea whenever he starts a game. Imagine if you were interviewing for a job and then once you get into that job, it's like, all right, you came in as an accountant. Okay, you're going to have to work IT. You know what? This week you're going to be HR. You know what? This other week you're going to be finance. It's, he came in as a number 10. You know, granted, some of these other ones might make sense because it's like, all right, you know, this is numbers. This is numbers. Or like maybe that can match up a little bit. But playing Havertz and kind of ruining that momentum, any momentum he might have in one position and learning mm-hmm. one position with how his team works, how his teammates play, having him change every single week it can allow him to learn or allow him to gain any momentum. So yeah. I think that's why he's been struggling with 15 appearances, one goal, one goal. Like what? That's and not good. You can't even assist. He only has two. So, <laughs> you know, Kai Havertz, he's played three positions at Bayer Leverkusen. And I had a friend who was a good friend of mine, Andres, shout out to Andres, who also was part of the uh, 
FIFA Twitch stream with me. <laughs> We're doing like a Road to Glory thing, but he's a big fan of Kai Havertz. He was really sad to see him go to Chelsea. But he was saying that he believes, as Yash said, his best position is the number 10. And it occasionally he has played a striker and he has scored goals. So he's a good player. He has the credibility. He has the potential as well to be like one of the best in the world. But I just don't think Lampard has the system down yet. Like it's just the chemistry is not there yet. It might just take time. It might just take more tinkering to kind of fit these players into a system that works for them rather than moving into a system that Lampard's good with because he had, I think he has these thoughts in mind. It's like, you know, Kai Havertz has played center attacking mid striker and right wing. I can play in those positions. Timo Werner during his very early parts of his career was a left wing as well. And when he converted to striker, that's when he became more of like a player that was more elite. It was like, Oh, this, this is something different. Cause you can always have a fast winger. But yeah. it's different to have a fast striker that can also put things away and make those b- very calculated runs that yeah. maybe a typical striker can't. And with his pace, he can do a lot of other things f- like that other players can't. Because like he has elite pace. Like that's one thing. Yeah. Like you can just keep running. You can just wind he's up fast. and just let him he's go. Very fast. From yes, you know, no, no one can, can argue that he's a very good player. <laughs> so um, I think all that accumulated together as along with the just luxury buys in my opinion of having Hakim Ziyech on the team too. Yeah. And also already having Mason Mount, Hudson Adoy, and then Ruben Loftus cheek. He just had to be shipped off because there's yeah. just no room for him. And then also <laughs> Christian Pulisic getting that number 10 on the Jersey. I was just like, who, how are they going to play all these players? Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they constantly have to have Abraham or Giroud on the bench. And I, I would say this Giroud has kind of been almost their most consistent attacker this season. And mm-hmm. obviously he doesn't get played as much. And I think they were kind of talking about this in the broadcast. And I agree that they signed a lot of really exciting attacking players. But they one thing that I feel like they're missing a whole ton of is the midfield. I think their midfield is still very weak because, you know, Conte is still, you know, Conte. He's still a very, very good player, but he does have his deficiencies. Like he's a very, very good midfielder when you all you need him to do is just break up play. He's the best at doing that in the world. But where he fails is that creativity. He doesn't offer that creativity. He he's not the best passer, I will say, Conte is. And a lot of times when you see Conte playing, it's more sideways passing, you know basically sideways, backwards. Maybe he makes the forward pass here and there. And then for me, Kovacic um, and, you know, Mason Mount, I don't think they're the best guys you want in like kind of like the midfield three. I don't think they're strong enough or that great. Because when you think of these midfielders of Liverpool or Man City, I would even put like Manchester United, I think they just have a better midfield. And I think they didn't do enough to strengthen that. I know they've kind of played ZX sometimes in the midfield, but ZX is very, very attack minded. He's not sort of that, that box to box midfielder. So I think one thing they failed to do was really strengthen the midfield in terms of bringing in more balance. They off- obviously strengthen the midfield in terms of attack, but they haven't done enough to balance it out. I would say. Yeah. And at this point, I don't even know if it's worth Spending more money because there's yeah, all these jokes on Twitter that you've seen. They gave him it, a war chest. Yes, this is he spent, I believe, two hundred twenty million pounds or two hundred twenty hundred million pounds. That's a lot of money. That's a ton. And there's all these memes of like a 
Frank Lampard that's just kind of bloated, just like a fat version, where it's like, <laughs> hey, hey, Gaffer might need some more, some more money for the next transfer. Yeah, <laughs> it's just I need another 20, 220 mil. Is like it's not enough, but I feel like they do have plenty. They don't need to buy any other players. Mm-hmm. Although you know they might be lacking a little bit in that midfield, as you just mentioned. I feel like they have enough players to kind of make it work. I feel like there's something in there that they can just say, "Hey, well, if you if you have that, where you think they have the players, do you think?" Um, I guess the bigger question is when they did lose to uh, Manchester City three one. The Athletic reported that Chelsea are looking into um, a number of replacements for Lampard's job, not um, in jeopardy yet, but they are lining up some considerable options. Do you think Lampard? is the right manager to lead them to glory or do you think they kind of need to part ways sooner than later? Chelsea are usually one of the quicker clubs to just dismiss the team's manager. It's not Watford level, but I would (laughs) say if they didn't win a specific trophy that Abramovich wanted to win, like if basically they didn't win everything in that season, it'd be like a failure. (laughs) So like Di Matteo wins Champions League, sacked. It's like literally like that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So... There's a very high standard at Chelsea, but I still feel like Lampard is different. There's something that you kind of can see where it's oh, not. Legend. Yeah, he's a legend, so he's very respected in the in the locker room. He's very respected with the staff. Like everyone knows him. Chelsea fans love him. It's just when you go to Chelsea, every single manager that's come through, it's like you're here to win a trophy, and that's mm-hmm. it. You're not there to build a culture. You're not there to build a system or anything yeah. in particular. You're there to win things. And mm-hmm. that's the whole thing about Chelsea. That's why we call their fans rent boys. Cause like they're just there. <laughs> they just win. <laughs> and I mean, in the in the end, ultimately that's what you want your club to do. Just win as many things as you can, win as many trophies as you can, as many games as you can. But Lampard's doing it a slightly different way where it might take some more time. And I don't know if he has the time, given Chelsea's more notorious culture that is kind of overlooming them for the past couple decades, I would say, at least during the Abramovich era. So I think even if they sack Lampard, who do they even bring in at this point? Yeah, I don't, there's not a ton of managers out there. Like Tuchel, uh, he just recently got fired by PSG and Pochettino yeah. came in there. Um, there's not a ton, I, mm-hmm. at least from my, just from top of my head, I don't know of a ton of, you know, high quality managers that are still out there available people were joking that Hasenhudel might get the job now because (laughs) he's doing well and usually Chelsea do like to grab the next best manager in the in the Premier League so Mm -hmm. that could be a thing but I I think they should keep Lampard that's just my personal take but I'm not Abramovich so yeah I I agree with you I think they need to keep with the project because you don't spend you don't give uh, this manager this much money to spend and not just sack him within six months you know from getting all these players I think you know there's been pieces where he's shown that he can do it so I just want to see you know I think it's all fair in game I think he deserves to have a little bit more time um, to build and you know build a culture and build a foundation to go from so um I think, you know, it's not looking good right now. They're in eighth place, but I I think Lampard should get the backing at least for this entire season and see what happens from there. But kind of moving from Chelsea to Manchester United, who are right now in a good bit of form. They just lost to Manchester City, unfortunately, in the uh, League Cup. 
But in the Premier League, they are joint top of the league right now with the game in hand with Liverpool at 33 points. Look, if you would have told me after the first month of this season when United got blitzed by Crystal Palace and they got blitzed by Tottenham and lost 6-1 at home, that they would be, after 17 games in the Premier League season, they would be uh, joint top of the league with Liverpool at 33 points. I wouldn't have believed you. I really wouldn't have believed you. Uh, you've, you've seen this podcast. I've ranted about United a ton, but for them to be in this position is fantastic. I... I'm just honestly shocked of how the fact, like the fact that they've been able to do this. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, sort of little pieces building in this squad. Um, first of all, Bailly has managed to stay healthy for a little bit. And him and Maguire have been building a decent partnership because one thing that Bailly has that Lindelof doesn't is pace. Bailly has a, a bit of pace on him, so he can kind of help cover for Maguire, who we obviously know isn't the fastest. So they kind of work well in tandem where Bailly can kind of step in and be sort of that aggressor, and then Maguire can kind of take that little bit more sit-back role where he doesn't have to put himself at too much of a risk of getting exposed on the counterattack. De Gea has looked like a almost at like the keeper that we've seen before. He's looked sharper. He's looked more reactive towards saves. He's saving a lot of um, shots now. I just feel like De Gea's getting that com- com- you know, confidence again. And then for me, obviously Bruno. Bruno is Bruno. He's been one of the best players in the Premier League. But uh, Marcus Rashford, I feel like, has taken another step to his game. I know the goals and assist total isn't as high as it was last year. But I feel like for me, he's taken a more consistent approach to his game where he's starting to affect games more consistently in terms of taking players on, being more of a threat on the counterattack, being more of a threat in general. And for me, he's just kind of taking that next step of being a better player. And it's just helped with Manchester United in terms of their offense and such. And then for me, um, Pogba has started to gain a little bit form. So if they can start getting Pogba to play better, I think it's going to help them. But you know, I have to give credit to Solskjaer. I think the fact that he's been able to rally everyone together and just keep them somewhat on track has helped. And they're in this position because, I guess, of Solskjaer's management. I know we have been critical of Solskjaer during this entire podcast series. A lot of people have, and rightfully so at times. But I have to give him credit for uh, credit right now for what he's done for Manchester United right now and, and has brought them into this position of just even being in the conversation of title title contenders. Fantastic job by him right now. Mm-hmm. And to much to my chagrin, it's like literally Manchester United are at this rate, they're also have a game on hand on Liverpool and they're tied yeah. on points. So they, they, they can Burnley. very much Burnley's their game in hand. This has been the most close this rivalry has been between uh Yesh and I in terms of the, the league at least since you've been friends i would say yeah or even literally. in the premier pod era like we call this the premier pod rivalry <laughs> and it hasn't been just much rivalry. like this is yeah this is the closest it's ever been and i was like you're kind of right because either it's like one team was you know going off like manchester United was going going off doing well and the liverpool's doing bad just bottom six seven and then now and then it flipped and then now it's very much like they're, they're both in the title race which is Pretty crazy to say that it took several years for that to happen, but this is this is a little a little scary that you know Manchester United are peaking at a pretty good time because now going into the second half of the season, there could be a lot of good momentum for them. Like they got past the Christmas period pretty well. Liverpool kind of 
tripped, fell, and stumbled. But sprained I mean, a knee. Yeah, they sprained a knee, but you know, Manchester United lost another semifinal. <laughs> but at Gosh. least in the league, they're doing all right. Yeah, I, I think the 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 interesting point here is that you know, I, I, I am firmly backing United as title contenders. I will because I'm a fan. But I, there's still a little bit of part, a part of me that I, I need to see how they perform against Liverpool in this next week when they... Ha- well, actually, how they perform against Burnley because now they're no longer chasing the pack. In a sense, they're now... Everyone's looking at them like, oh, can United actually keep up the pressure and you know maintain this form? And this is where we've seen City and Liverpool basically put themselves apart from the rest of the pack because they've been able to maintain their high level performance when the pressure is on. And for Manchester United, that hasn't been the case recently because they've always been the team that's been on the rebuild, has had stops and turns, has never really been expected to do much besides, you know, win a couple games. But now the pressure is kind of on, I will say. And I, I want to see how Solskjaer and the group reacts. And I think um, one thing, I think they're starting to become like a better team spirit and team bonding. And for me, it's just, it's very interesting to see how the squad has changed so much since Solskjaer took it over. Because I remember when Solskjaer took it over, we had a lot of players that were on high wages, were, you know, not very good for the squad morale, you know, kind of, you know, not the best team players. We had Alexi Sanchez, Romulu Lukaku, you know, Ashley Young, Chris Smalling, Phil, I mean, Phil Jones is still part of the squad, which is, um, I don't get it. And Herrera, we we just had a bunch of players that were you know on tons of big wages and weren't really contributing as much as they should should have been. And then it's been kind of this process of Solskjaer slowly clearing out a lot of the a lot of these players that just needed to go out and funneling in players that such as Bruno Fernandez, um, Donny Van de Beek, Cavani, Mason Greenwood has been promoted um, since Solskjaer has been here. Alex Telles, you know, adding these players that have added a bit of competition in the squad and have helped strengthen it. And it's been a pretty decent, cool process of them doing that. And they've also added um, some couple youngsters here and there as well. So, you know, whether or not Solskjaer is the guy that makes, turns United back into winning Premier League titles, I don't know. But I will have to give him credit that he has done a good job of taking United from where they were under Mourinho when he left and taking it from that toxic atmosphere into turning into a, a competent team that can basically perform on its best day. It's, you know, as one of the best in the world. So for me, I have to, I have to give kudos to Solskjaer for kind of riding the ship and getting United kind of back on track where they need to be. Mm-hmm. One of the key things I feel like Yush has said for the past couple of years is like United need to get rid of all the deadwood, all the, yeah. all the players that are just kind of eating up the wages, not really contributing Gosh, what they should there be. So many. There's like there were so many. There's like Young, um, Smalling was on there. Uh, you know, they even loaned out Dallow, who wasn't really doing much at either. And then you have their Lukaku, Alexi Sanchez, and Herrera. Oh, man. <laughs> like the whole list of who yeah, they already so sold. Many. There's literally so many. But, I mean, United have really, you know, recovered from that. And I feel like we probably should mention this more, but Bruno Fernandez literally... Yeah. What a player. I feel like that player is the reason United have jumped a new level. Because if you take him out, there goes all your penalty takers. There goes all <laughs> there goes all those like goals, all those chances that he's created. Because I believe if I'm thinking about this correctly, I believe he's averaged like a 
a key chance on goal created per match on yeah, average it's, and it's also insane. has it's contributed directly to a goal as well. He's he's almost become he's basically become the Wilfred Zaha of United where it's like everything kind of funnels through him. Like if we're gonna score a winner or if we're gonna score a goal, it has to come through Bruno and then Bruno feeds other people, which I think is a little bit worrying because if he were to go down with an injury or something were to happen, it it's not the best look because we wouldn't have that s- second playmaker to kind of go in and step in for him. Um but since he's healthy, I mean he's been fantastic player i mean he's blown me away but how good he is and the fact that we got him for not even close to 100 mil i think it's been it, it's it's one of the best deals i've ever seen manchester united done since i've been a fan i will say i was still really sad when i saw him go to manchester united because i <laughs> i liked him when he was still at sporting because i was like i always thought of him as a long shot guy i was like this guy i didn't know he was this good at playmaking and creating all these chances but i just knew he was not afraid to take a shot from long range, but now he's literally like the key man of Manchester United. I feel like he's the equivalent of Van Dyke at Manchester United, where if you take him out, they really do step down a notch yeah, and go and drop down a level. So it's, it's kind of crazy how almost each team has like that, that guy that if they were to take him out, they drop down a level. Like for city, it's Kevin De Bruyne for Liverpool. It's Van Dyke for United. It's um, obviously Bruno Fernandes for Chelsea. I will say, who who would it be for Chelsea? I feel like Conte. Yeah, Conte, and then Tottenham. If you were to take out Son or Kane, they. Sh- I would say Kane over Son because whenever Kane comes out, they can't. They're just <laughs> not the same team. I will say, even though Son's a great player, I always felt like when Kane was out, they always had a hard time um, recovering from that. Um, Arsenal, Arsenal. Yeah. Leno. <laughs> yeah, Leno. <laughs> literally Leno. <laughs> um. Or literally, you could you could make a case all the youngsters if Saka or you yeah Saka's out yeah any of those guys go out but yeah it's it's interesting how every club kind of has that player where if they leave their starting eleven it's like they drop down a level and for for United it's Bruno Fernandez it's fantastic so <laughs> fantastic they are joint top they're joint top of the league I'm super excited about it I I'm very happy that they're somehow in this position but. Liverpool, obviously Tyler's team, had, did not have the best fe- Christmas fest- festive fixture um, results. I think that what they they got two draws in a row, and then they lost the game against um, Southampton. And Danny Ings, the guy that Klopp sold, came back and haunted them um, with a I I would say like a really really good cheap uh, chip goal, FIFA twenty one esque, using like the uh, the chip mechanism right there. It was very FIFA-esque in that it was a set piece in the second minute of the game, just out of nowhere, just kind of... Danny Ings, I I could see him planning that kind of shot, but I was just like, dang, he didn't even look. He just like hit the ball and just prayed and went towards the goal and then having to hit the side knitting of the other side, like an unstable shot. It was a really good goal, but I was just like, of course. And ever since then, they kind of just parked the bus the whole game, and then Liverpool couldn't really do anything. Hasenhutl was literally in tears after the match. Yes, the coach of Southampton, Ralph Hasenhutl, the, was just the one on we the called, ground. He was the crying. One, exactly. The one I at least have called the great value, Jurgen Klopp. Defeated the actual Jurgen Klopp. And he was just <laughs> like so emotionally moved from this victory that it put him on the ground, like on his knees. I was like... 
Good gracious. What have we become? <laughs> hey, at least like, you're one of the you're the club now that if someone beats, like you're you're making the opposing manager go on in tears because it like I, took so much effort. I guess so, but we still lost. And I was like, man, come on. After three games too. So these three opponents, with all due respect, yeah, they're I not feel like should have been winnable games for yeah. Liverpool, the the former champion or the current champions the Premier League. They should not be losing these games. At least, in, like, especially Southampton. Southampton, they're top six right now. But still, if you look at just the level of pedigree between both team sets of players, it's like Liverpool, they have players that have won trophies at this point. Like, they, they've gone through this. Like, they should not be struggling this hard. In the past three games, they've scored one goal. Mm. And it was against West Brom. Yeah. And they couldn't score against Newcastle. Granted, I mm. will say... There were a few chances that were handballs or like penalty shouts that were not given to us. And I was very confused. I was just like, what? Like there needs to be consistent. Like we've seen instances where it literally just brushes the arm hair of a player or like chops off the fingernail of a player. And that's a handball. But in the Southampton game, Literally, one of the Southampton players was diving for a ball to block it and it hit off his arm as he was falling, but they didn't give the pen. And in the Newcastle game, Sadio Mane literally got flipped over, like tripped up, and they didn't give the pen. I was like, "What is? where is the consistency? I understand, you know, other teams are going to say, you know, Liverpool get a lot of penalties, things like that. But I'm like, if if they deserve one, they should get one. Or if, like, mm-hmm. the rules stay, they should get one. They're like, they should get one. Because, yeah. like, the other teams will get them. So... I don't know. It got a little unlucky for Liverpool. I would say for these certain situations, because you know sometimes that one penalty could really change the game. Because like yeah, if they got one goal, at least in like the Newcastle game, they would have won, and that would have been yeah. three points. If they got that one penalty against Southampton, they would at least got one point, and maybe even change the dynamic of the game. Because then Southampton wouldn't be able to park the bus as hard, unless they did want to just get the one point, which I wouldn't be surprised if they also wanted to do. Yeah. But I think that's the it's- thing. Liverpool have been playing a lot of teams these days and they've all been just parking the bus. And it's really hard for Liverpool to break that down. Exactly. Like for Man City, they're very good at breaking down teams that park the bus because of just their passing pedigree. Like the tactics that Pep Guardiola has is very much oriented on them having possession. Well, Mm -hmm. for Liverpool, they are very good at having possession, but it really does help when they overload those wings with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson making those crossing runs and then they just spam crosses into the middle. That's really effective and that's something I saw with like Pep Guardiola too when they had Sané. Like they just overload one side and just spam crosses and that's how they did so well. That's what Liverpool did too. But when you have 11 players playing defense in the box, it's very hard to spam and find space because it's just nowhere to there's nowhere to really pass the ball to and there's not that many Liverpool players that will take a long shot either. They really have to really get into a 100% chance of scoring opportunity for them to actually pull the trigger, I feel like. Otherwise, they'll try to look for the pass. And that was really frustrating to see against Southampton because I was like, there were certain times where I was like, oh, Mane can shoot. And they passed it. I was like, what is is he doing? (laughs) So I feel like those little things as well have been kind of plaguing Liverpool and why they haven't been able to score. On top of that, we're starting to see how important certain players like Nabi Keita is for the team because in the games he has not played, I believe it was 12 games he's played, 12 games he hasn't. In the 12 games he hasn't played, 
they've scored around like 14 goals in the 10 games he has played he scored they've scored around 25 granted it was a little skewed because they had that 7-0 victory against crystal Palace, and he was in that game yeah. but i feel like having him on the team just being that creative player can help every once in a while and not having jordan henderson play center back one of your key players playing center back out of position will also help in trying to create attacks because you're kind of putting him so far back. It's even beyond the quarterback position where Steven Gerrard played during his last season. This is further back. This is like the, the fan who's playing behind the field goal post, like in the front row. I'm like, yeah. man, he can't do anything from back there. So yeah, I, yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, I think the, the thing that's very interesting during this run is that I always think in the back of my mind, man, if they just, if Van Dyke and Joe Gomez stayed healthy, I think Liverpool would be almost runaway favorites because it's that that's I guess solidity that you would need in the defense. And if you have Van Dyke and Joe Gomez playing, then Jordan Henderson, Fabinho can play in the midfield. Then you have that rotation in the midfield. But this whole season, it's like Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, then a random center back have to be like the back three or the back two. And that's thrown off, I feel like, the entire team and the system because now you have two of your holding midfielders basically playing center back. And, you know, that disrupts the flow of everything. So, you know, that's that's one of the things that I feel like when I look back at like the Premier League title winners, what's the one thing you need? It's not having the injury bug hit your team. And unfortunately for Liverpool, that injury bug has hit them pretty hard with Van Dyke, Joe Gomez. Um, Alisson has been out for a little bit. You know, certain players have just been out with injury for so long at Liverpool that I think it's it's just an unfortunate season for them right now. Mm-hmm. And to go on top of that, there have been 14 center back pairings for Liverpool throughout the season so far. There have been 17 games. There have been That's 14 crazy. pairings. That's crazy. And the most consistent pairing so far this season was Fabinho and Matip. Fabinho doesn't even play center back. And that was six <laughs> games. Six games that... that pairing happened so this is a little it's 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 very frustrating for like the liverpool side because it's just like it's just like legit musical chairs but kind of more forced rather than a pep guardiola-esque like i'm doing it because i'm pep guardiola this is literally like we have no other options mm-hmm. we're literally playing nathaniel phillips at center back because like we got no other fl- players like that's we're running out and i think that is partially not even partially just like a big reason why Liverpool have been struggling at defense at times soon just letting these kind of lazy goals in these goals that probably could be prevented they just go in and they're unable to really bounce back from it at times it is really confusing though that despite these defensive frailties and injuries in the front side at least Salah, Mane, Firmino they're all healthy everyone's there besides Diogo Jota you know, yeah, Minamino's there. Mix. Like we see Big Shaq, Big Shakiri, he's back. But even he couldn't really unlock the, the defense. Jota's so, a big one. Yes. And then like Oxlad's back. So all the players are back. But even then, they're still kind of struggling to score. So, you know, it's not because of lack of opportunities. Just like it's just, as I kind of mentioned earlier, just lack of key opportunities to really get a 100% ch- chance on goal. And I think it's just we're going to have to change slightly to play the certain team we're playing rather than our system. I don't know if that's the smart thing to do because, you know, ultimately don't fix when I'm broken. And, you know, Klopp has his own tactics. He's the ultimate tactical mastermind. But sometimes if you... I think 
the one thing that the reason I still think, you know, Liverpool or City could probably are more likely to win the title is because they have two managers that you know what they're going to do and they do it really well, no matter what goes on. And for Liverpool, I know they're kind of going through this rut, but I still have the confidence in Klopp that he'll still be able to unlock the defense or unlock the offense by just playing his own style, which is what's made him successful as a manager. And I I agree with you. I don't think it's really worth changing because that's not the type of manager he is. He's not a Mourinho that can go, that's going to go. Obviously Klopp and Pep tinker their system a little bit to their matchup, but any manager does. But I feel like Mourinho is one of those that will change up everything. He would throw like sun in the defense if he had to, to, for one game to win it all. And for Klopp and Pep Guardiola, they're not that type of manager. They're going to trust their system to outperform whatever matchup thing you may have done, the other opponent manager does. So I, I agree with you. I don't think Klopp should change the system per matchup. I feel like he should just trust what he's got um, mm-hmm. and stick with it because it's made him successful. Yeah, and this might just be a slight snag. Maybe they'll yeah. bounce back. That's the hope because, you know, this... The system has worked historically. It's just these past yeah. three games it hasn't. And I think it'll just take a maybe just the right game for it to kind of switch around. But you're also mm-hmm. right, Yosh. It just they these two managers in particular, their system it just works. Just sometimes yeah. every once in a while, just a little buggy. But we'll see. Yeah. It's just a little sad to watch. A <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool fan. Yeah. But it has it, swung the, the title race wide open. Yeah. It swung it, it, wide it, open. And th- that's the funny thing. I, I was on Twitter when Liverpool were losing to Southampton. Like, all these Liverpool fans were freaking out. I'm like, dang, you guys just won the title and the Champions <laughs> League. Like, calm down. <laughs> You're not in crisis mode. But well, I guess it's one of those pessimistic, man. After yeah, seeing you- 10 years of losing finals <laughs> and getting second place, it's like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, I think the... The thing is, is that all of these results have made the Premier League title race really open. And we've spoke about the different teams that are still in it. And it's one of those things, the title is going to be won with like 75 points, 70, 75 points. It's not going to be a lot of points that's going to decide this title because literally we're going to go through periods where there's going to be one team that's going, pulling off like three wins in a row, then the other team's in a rut. Then it's like they get back in track. It's going to go back and forth and it's going to make it really fun and and just add a lot of parity to the Premier League title race. It's not going to be two teams that are balloting out. It's going to be literally six teams you could throw in there that could win it. Um, but it, it's interesting. One team that I would say is still going to be a long shot to get in the top four, even with this bit of form, is Arsenal. They're no longer in the relegation battle. So celebrate, Gunner fans. You know, you guys are safe. You've uh, Hopefully, you guys are safe. But they have escaped the relegation battle by basically pulling off three wins in a row. And the key to that success, from what I've seen, is that they played the youngsters. They play Saka. They play um, Emil Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, um, I believe Maitland-Niles, I believe, too. Um, Pablo Mari, obviously, he's not like a youngster, but he's been playing at center back. You know, they've been, Kieran Tierney has been a monster at left back for them. Berlino has been good. And the biggest thing is that they're playing the youngsters. They finally benched Willian, Pepe. Aubameyang actually has been benched a couple of times. Um, Lacazette has performed decently well recently, but he's actually been benched as well. And it's amazing how much better these younger players are for Arsenal than the experienced pros that they paid a lot of money for. And I don't know what to pinpoint for that. I don't know if that's more of the culture that's wrong with Arsenal, that you have these younger players coming in that are outperforming 
these players that are on big time wages almost consistently. Like Saka looks like a better player than Lacazette and Pepe combined. It's it's astonishing. I don't know what to put. I don't know how to explain it really. I think it has to just do with just passion. Is yeah. Sometimes every like a little pinch of passion might just do the trick because when you see a player that just cares, a player that will just you know chase down a guy just to make sure they don't lose the game or just you know shots at a, another player just to keep them accountable. Like you see those qualities in like certain players like Kieran Tierney, and that is a very big intangible that you can't really teach into a player. It's just something that kind of comes with them. And when I started seeing these players make the starting 11, like ML Smith Rowe, I was like, who? <laughs> People were already giving the abbreviation of ESR. I was like, who's ESR? It's like, what, what is this? I was like, oh, it's, oh, he's actually getting a star. That's weird. It's, and that was like his second start in the Premier League, like ever. And, yeah. you know, they're doing well with him. So I feel like maybe Arteta was just like, you know what? Maybe just let's just see what happens if we just change it up altogether. And it is working. And you have to also give credit to Unai Emery because these three players are players that he promoted. So yeah. that is kind of weird to say, but at the same time, it's worked for Arsenal just from the grave. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also been pretty interesting is that he's actually benched Aubameyang in a couple games because of his poor run of form. And that's a big call for probably one of the best strikers out there who is in a very bad run of form. And... They need Aubameyang. They just need Aubameyang to kind of get back in form because if they can add Aubameyang, inform Aubameyang with these younger players, I think they might actually get a good run of games going and they can start pulling off some wins and be a little bit more of a consistent team. Um, I don't. I think you know Willian has shown that it's been a flop signing. I don't know why they really went after Willian because anyone that's watched Chelsea in recent years has seen that Willian isn't a very consistent player to begin with. Pepe, I'm sorry, Arsenal fans. I think he's a flop. I, I think you know. I think it's fair to say he's a flop now, right? We've given him what more than one and a half seasons now. I feel he, like he's a flop because of his seventy-two million pound price tag. But as mm-hmm. a player, I still feel like he has potential. But I don't think he's going to be worth seventy-two yeah. million. Maybe like thirty-five, forty. But like for. He hasn't that shown kind of price tag. That's like Hazard level, like Gareth Bale going to Real Madrid level <laughs> price tag. Like this is a player that is supposed to be your foundational player. This yeah. is a player that on that list of players that we say, if that player is taken out of the team, then they drop a level. That should have been Pepe, but it wasn't. It was, it's Leno. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. It, it, no, it literally has. So hmm. I think... Um, it's really interesting with these teams, with Arsenal too. I was talking to another Arsenal fan that they said that, you know, it wouldn't really make sense to sack Emery because what's the point of sacking Emery? Because it, it really, or in a lot of ways, there's a there's things that are much deeper that are wrong with the club. Like there's a lot of players and such that that kind of need to be on their way out. And I think they're starting to do that because Kolasniac, I believe, went out on loan to. Um, I think it was a Bundesliga side, right? Back to the Bundesliga. I can't remember the exact team, but he's now out on loan. They've looked at options to either sell or loan out Mesut Ozil. Um, And I believe there's another player that I can't put my name on right now, but they are doing their best to kind of clear out the squad and get rid of some of that dead wood and bring in um, the right type of players. And like Manchester United, if they can clear out a couple of these players and bring in in a couple of like uh, well-known, nice players... You know, 
it won't be too long where Arsenal are kind of back in the fighting position for fighting for top four and then eventually fighting for the league. So I don't think they're too far off. Um, if, if that's the right thing to say too far oh. off from uh, the project kind of going into motion and such. Yeah. Kolosniak went back to Schalke and yeah. Schalke are really bad right now, right? Schalke are literally like relegated. Long story <laughs> short, I believe their transfer budget or their wage per player is like 2.5 million, which is really low for the Bundesliga. Like they slashed their budget like insane, insanely low to the point where they're like, they're guaranteed going to get relegated. Like it's, it's really bad financially. So like that's at the writings on the wall. And they had that at the beginning of the season where it's like, we can't afford anything. It's like, we're going to have to slash the budget. So that's very interesting that he would go to them. They don't really have a choice, I guess, but uh, William Saliba, the Arsenal center back that they bought from, I believe it was Etienne or, or Etienne. That sounds, that sounds right. Or basically from Liga. He was one (laughs) of the promising players, but they sent him on loan to Nice and Mesut Ozil is finally, I believe, on his way out. There's been a lot of talks with him going to Fenerbahce. Man, and, why does every like former really good player end up at Fenerbahce somehow? Like Van Persie was at Fenerbahce. Like now it's now it's Mesut Ozil. Not Nani there at one point? Yeah, what? I think Nani was there at one point too. Or no, yeah, I think he was. Yes. There was yes. another player also that went to Fernabache as well that I can't put my I can't remember exactly, but oh man, Mezzodozil. Mezzodozil. What there a- was actually one cool thing. There was actually a Twitter thread of pictures of like uh this is a historic career, like Mezzodozil, like pictures throughout his career, and it was like him winning the World Cup, him um lifting the La Liga trophy with Real Madrid, him winning the FA Cup with Arsenal. I'm like, dang, man, these these people I hope they remember the Mezzadozo of who he was, one of the best number 10s in the world that unfortunately um, the game kind of passed him by. But man, on his day, back in his heyday, man, he was one of the best number 10s in the world. I'm talking about consistently delivering. He was the guy. I will, like, he was one of my favorite players of all time. I have his, he's one of the first jerseys I bought. Mm-hmm. And actually, no, no, I bought him in 20, I bought a jersey of his in 2014. When they won the World Cup, but he's one of the first players I followed when I started following soccer in the mm-hmm. 2010 World Cup because he just had that that edge. He was just like at the time he was a Real Madrid foot. player. He was he was a perfect number ten player basically, and he was very methodical. He wasn't like pacey or anything. He just always knew the right pass. He was just very pinpoint, and he had like those moments of world class moments or abilities. Or I can literally just say, do you remember that Ludo Goretz goal? Mm-hmm. And then people would be like, "Oh yeah, is that one where yeah. he basically skilled out three players and it made it look like a Puma commercial?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No player has the audacity to do something like that unless it comes naturally to someone like Ozil." But with that insane wage he had, he's finally on his way out after just kind of sitting in the bench and in the stands for, I feel like two seasons or three seasons now in a row. Like he just so barely sad. played. And I feel like if Manchester United were trying to get rid of some dead wood, this is Arsenal's biggest just block of wood. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's funny how Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil at one point were the biggest superstars in the Premier League. Like they were very consistent performers in one season, but then it was that season where Sanchez wanted to leave, and then they had that a huge debate on like who should Arsenal keep, Alexis Sanchez or Mesut Ozil? Who do they pay if they had to pick one? And Sanchez obviously went to United and then they paid Ozil. And then now 
literally since that has happened, both of their careers have just like went down the gutter. I feel like in, mm-hmm. in terms of not being consistently performing in the league and just not being consistent players. I, it's just fascinating how both of them got paid huge money and just have not been the same since. I will say since then, the culture at Arsenal has also changed a lot mm-hmm. in terms of what they're trying to go for and also what the coaches and managers want and their players. But at least what I'm seeing now, which is like the over-encompassing, over-encompassing thing at Arsenal is that there's a sense of competition now. There is a sense where you don't, just because you're the star player, you don't get the guaranteed starting 11 spot. Kind of like when we saw Pogba at Manchester United, like now you don't get that starting spot. You could get benched for someone like McSauce or Matic. And then at <laughs> Arsenal, you can get benched for someone like ESR or Martinelli. Like, you don't, it doesn't matter who you are now. It's just, unless you play well, you don't get that starting 11 spot. And I feel like that's a very good move for Arteta to do because ultimately that's how it is in real life too. In just any other team sport for like, say, high school, college, or even at work. Except at work, you know, you don't get like benched or fired. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of rounds up like sort of the bigger, bigger storylines. I wanted to quickly mention a team that is unfortunately on the opposite end of the spectrum of teams we've been talking about is Sheffield United. After 16 games have been played, they have zero wins in the Premier League. Yes, you heard that right. 16 games played and zero wins in the Premier League. That is very bad. I don't think I've ever seen something as hor- horrifyingly bad as that. Are you like, how do you not have a single win yet? That's ridiculous. Um, you know, we like to, what we like to do is we like to put teams on a toast meter. And for me, I, and I could be fairly confident in saying that Sheffield United are burnt toast at this point. Like, there's just no way they can get out of this. Zero wins after 16 games played. It, it quite baffling to me right now. There, we had a prediction. I believe the season they got promoted to the Premier League. I know they they were, thought, we thought we were going to be. They were going to be automatic goners. Yeah, we 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 literally said we didn't have to. We didn't have to go in depth. We're just we're just saying Sheffield automatic relegation. Like it's just like twentieth place, not even a question. And then that season, they're top half of the table, uh, or no, they got twelfth or something. But yeah. at, at most of the season, they're fifth. And I was just like, what is happening? Chris Wilder is wilding out. Like he literally just going off of this Sheffield team, which majority of the players were championship level caliber players. It's just they had a really good system and no one got injured. But this season, Rian Brewster, man. I thought they were going to be good because they brought him in. They brought Ampadu in on loan. Um, uh, the moves that know. we thought they should do, they did. And then now they suck. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Logic just goes out the window. And they spent they too much score. money now to really like. They can't they can't score. They can't really bounce back from that, and their defense is trash. Like not yeah, having Dean Aaron Henderson is not the uh, is not um, Dean Henderson. Mm-hmm. So I really think Dean Henderson losing out on him was a big loss because Aaron Ramsdale, man, some of these saves, I'm like, hold up, <laughs> that's the best they can do. I'm like, come on, like there's definitely other better keepers out there that could you know prevent certain goals or save the game for Sheffield, but Aaron Ramsdale just couldn't, he cannot do it. And he couldn't do it for Bourne with either. I'm a Ramsdale f- hater right now, but I'm saying he's not helping their cause. And yeah. I believe the worst 
team that's ever performed in the Premier League was Derby County during one of the seasons. Did they get? I forgot if they got double digit points, but it was really bad. Wasn't it Portsmouth? Didn't they get like 18 points or something like one season? Like way back in like 07 or something like that? Something like that. It's either Portsmouth or Derby County, I believe. But Sheffield's, you know, putting in their money for this. They have two points. So so the question is, do you think they could actually go the whole season and not get a single dub? That is really hard to do, I will say. (laughs) Like that that would crush the souls of every single player on that team. It's like they couldn't get one win. The whole they couldn't get one one nil win How against any team. How sad would that be to be in that locker room? Like we couldn't get one victory. <laughs> That's so sad. They haven't scored double digit goals yet either. They're at eight goals after seventeen games now, actually. But I believe, as you said, with all these facts put together, it's just Sheffield United. We can probably stamp it at this point. They will get relegated unless some oh. miracle of messy happens and then he just they just bounce back and they just get 40 the magical 40 points and just stay in the league all of a sudden but they are right now 38 points behind that and they have half the season left to go so would they need to i obviously it's gonna be like it's gonna be too much math so they would have to pretty much win win out almost and like they could draw a couple games but they just need to win out at this point they have to win at least half the remaining games oh, that's say. not that's not that's not happening because even if you draw like if you drew every single match, you would still be like at twenty points. <laughs> so it's oh, like that's so sad. <laughs> this is uh this is rough times. This is rough times for Sheffield. Enjoy the Premier League while you still have it. But I think next season you'll be back in the championship. Unfortunately. I, I think on that we, note I think we might we, see Norwich uh back too. They're doing pretty well. In the oh really? Oh right now. I believe so. So, you know, Norwich might be back, but yeah, it's it's I'd quite shocking. How uh, <laughs> how uh, how bad Sheffield have looked this season, especially because we all thought Chris Wilder was the guy, and now I don't even Not think it's guy. worth firing him, right? Because it's like who who could you bring in that could rectify this situation and make it better? I don't. Nigel I, Pearson. I don't, Nigel Pearson, maybe, or um, yeah, Nigel Pearson. Who's the guy that used to be West Brom's um, coach? Tony Pulis. Oh, Pulis. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe him, but I I don't know. I, I just they're in a bad situation. They're toast. I'm just gonna call it right now. Toast. Stamp the toast. Uh, toast rating on them. But yeah, that was kind of it for this episode. Uh, we wanted to quickly mention Sheffield. There no preview for us because this weekend is FA Cup, and um, I believe yeah, just FA Cup this weekend, and then they're back to playing Premier League and having the full on congested fixtures. But yeah, it was nice to finally get back and record another episode it's been a, it's been two weeks but it feels like a long time because of all the fixtures but we appreciate everyone that listened um for this episode like we always say please give us a rating on itunes um it would greatly appreciated it helps us out um and getting noticed to other people so leaving a rating or comment on there um following us on our social media at the premiere pod you can also watch the video or watch the podcast on youtube at the premiere pod you can subscribe on there and also leave comments leave us a like on there as well if you like but at the end of the day um just taking the time that you took the time to listen to it that's all that matters so thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode it's a bit of a lengthy one but we had to get back in the swing of things but like we say all the time thank you guys so much for listening that kind of wraps up episode 101 for us peace peace